This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... The summit is really rooted in the recognition that Africa is a key geopolitical player, one that is shaping our present and will shape our future. Dana Banks, the U.S. National Security Council Senior Advisor for the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit next month. Details coming up. Also, Zimbabwe's president paints a positive outlook for economic growth in state-of-the-nation speech. Protests mar South African President Cyril Ramaphosa's visit to Buckingham Palace. And Morocco ties Croatia nil-nil at the World Cup, while Japan upsets Germany. We'll have these stories and more on African News Tonight. Senior U.S. officials say President Joe Biden's meeting next month with African leaders will amplify African voices in tackling this era's defining challenges, such as deepening food insecurity and climate crisis. U.S. policymakers say the meeting confirms Africa as a key geopolitical player and will promote growing partnership with Washington. From the Kenyan capital, Nairobi, Ruben Chama reports. Dana Banks is National Security Council Senior Advisor for the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit, a three-day meeting in the U.S. that kicks off in mid-December. President Biden has invited 49 African heads of state and the head of the AU to Washington for a three-day summit to really highlight how the U.S. and African nations are strengthening our partnerships to advance our shared priorities. The summit reflects the U.S. strategy towards sub-Saharan Africa, which really emphasizes the critical importance of the region in meeting this era's defining challenges. Speaking to reporters late Tuesday from Washington, D.C., Banks gave more details about the upcoming summit's agenda to strengthen U.S.-Africa relations. The summit is really rooted in the recognition that Africa is a key geopolitical player, one that is shaping our present and will shape our future. Uh, As Secretary Blinken underscored when he traveled to the region earlier this year, Africa will shape not just the future of African people, but of the world. U.S. President Joe Biden will host leaders from across Africa in Washington, D.C., December 13th through the 15th for the summit. The meeting follows U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken's trip to Africa in August. Robert Scott is Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for the U.S. Department of State's Bureau of African Affairs. African contributions and partnerships and leadership are essential today. You're looking at a continent, fastest growing population, largest free trade area, largest voting bloc in the United Nations. So issues that affect the globe uh, are in large part going to be solved through the involvement of African governments and populations. Senior advisor Banks said the outcomes of the summit in December are expected to deepen the long-term U.S.-Africa partnership while advancing shared priorities. We realize that there is a great excitement around the summit, given that this is only the second summit that is being held, Africa Leaders Summit, and so we really want to make sure that we are meeting the mark on that. With most African nations recovering from the COVID-19 pandemic, U.S. officials say African countries need to be better prepared 
for health emergencies. Analysts say strengthening health systems and creating economic opportunities for women and youth as well as addressing the climate crisis will feature prominently in the forthcoming discussions. Ruben Chama, VOA News, Nairobi. Protests have marred the visit of South African President Cyril Ramaphosa to Buckingham Palace, where he's talking with Britain's King Charles. The choice of Ramaphosa as the first foreign leader to be hosted by the new monarch has been criticized in South Africa and the United Kingdom. The ANC is currently mired in scandal and its uh, support to regimes from China to Russia to Zimbabwe being just two focal points. Darren Taylor has more. It is the biggest welcome the nation can provide. The ceremonial spectacle of a state visit. Ramaphosa, protected from the cold by a long black cashmere coat, was shown on British television inspecting a guard of honour with King Charles. After that, the South African leader was taken to the palace in a gilded golden carriage where he gave a speech to royalty and politicians. The ties between our two countries and nations are old and enduring. We therefore see this visit as an opportunity to celebrate our modern relationship as equal partners, working together for the prosperity and security of our people. But as Ramaphosa and Charles exchanged smiles and pleasantries over a chess set gifted to Queen Elizabeth by her friend Nelson Mandela in 1994, Sky TV highlighted a few realities to millions of British viewers. These visits are a chance to reset relationships and a chance for the president to escape domestic pressures. He's facing rising unemployment, daily power cuts and allegations of corruption. Outside the palace, protesters made sure the president did not forget what was unfolding back home. Some placards read, world's highest unemployment, 40%, and the ANC gangster government in reference to the alleged looting by the ruling party of billions of dollars of public money and 30,000 murders a year, rape capital of the world. He's here because he wants to kingwash his administration. He wants to leverage the goodwill of a new king to make his own administration, his own problems, his own corruption seep away. Live on South African state TV, demonstrator Gordon Mackay claimed Ramaphosa had continued the maladministration and graft typical of every ANC government since Mandela left office in 1999. While he's here having tea with the king, most South Africans have level five load shedding. They can't even switch on a kettle for their own cup of tea. So I'd love to see in a year's time what is the result of Mr. Ramaphosa's visit. And sadly, I think it's going to be very little. So I don't buy this that Mr. Ramaphosa is here to fix South Africa. If you want to fix South Africa, you need to be at home in South Africa fixing South Africa. Load shedding refers to the long power outages South Africans have been enduring almost every day for more than three months. Energy experts blame corruption and mismanagement at State Power Corporation, ESCOM. Another demonstrator, Pumzile Nsele, says she voted ANC for decades 
before being forced to move to the UK because she couldn't find a job. She says she misses home, but not when her relatives tell her they're living in poverty with no basic services while the ANC continues to steal. While frustration reigned outside Buckingham Palace, inside it was all pomp and diplomacy as King Charles spoke. Perhaps above all, we must find and implement practical solutions to the twin existential threats of climate change and biodiversity loss. Even on that front, Ramaphosa is facing internal revolt, as some of his ministers rebel against plans to turn South Africa toward green energy. They have coal contracts worth millions of dollars to protect. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. About 150 survivors of brutality, torture, dehumanization and oppression under apartheid have camped outside South Africa's constitutional court demanding $87,000 each as compensation. The group expressed frustration at the government in all negotiations on the issue. They argue that the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, led by the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu, unfairly left them out of the group that was compensated. To Sokumalo reports from Johannesburg. For more than four weeks now, these apartheid system victims have braved cold and sometimes rainy nights outside the Constitutional Court in Johannesburg. They want fair compensation for gross suffering, abuse, inhuman treatment, torture and loss of loved ones they endured under the apartheid government. They all look frail, old and desperate for help. During the sitting of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that adjudicated apartheid crimes soon after South Africa ended the oppression system of white supremacy in 1994, the government outlined a chain of conversation packages. Victims were promised financial, educational, medical and social assistance. But these victims, some of them with permanent injuries from torture and bullet wounds, spoke in unison, confirming they have received none of it. We are a wounded society. We've got bullets in our bodies. We've been raped by these apartheid soldiers. Amongst the group is 50-year-old Victoria Tukana. She suffered a gunshot wound to the head by apartheid security agents in 1982. The pain and trauma caused her to lose her unborn baby. And another victim, Nomara Chia Bonase, says she doesn't understand why the government has refused to pay reparations that were included in an act of parliament. They've promised us to repay each individual victim a financial help and educational help, proper medication help, and a proper housing. These dozens of victims are members of the Galela campaign and Kulumani support group, representing over 100,000 apartheid victims. Judy Seidman is a Kulumani board member. She says they have it on good authority that over $104 million was set aside for the conversation, but only a handful of people were paid as little as $1,700 each. 20 years later, 
they have paid out the 30,000 rands to under 17,000 people. They have completely failed to put into place any access to medical assistance. Um, they have failed to put in place access to housing. The victims now want President Cyril Ramaphosa and Justice Minister Ronald Lamola to come and give them answers. Efforts to get government comment were not successful. However, the government is on record saying 17,416 people were paid just over 1,700 each and there is no legal provision for more. It says the door is open for applications that were not submitted by the deadline. Tusokumalo for VOA News, Johannesburg. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Zimbabwean President Emerson Manangagwa painted a positive outlook for economic growth, growth in his State of the Nation speech to Parliament. From Harare, reporter Kuzazanawashi has more. The economy is expanding, President Emerson Nangagwa said today, and output is growing. The period since my last address to this parliament has been unprecedented socio-economic growth as well as the accelerated implementation of the National Development Strategy 1. Tight monetary and fiscal policy measures to stabilize the economy and curtail speculative borrowing and other rent-seeking behavior are bearing fruit. Nangagwa said the mining of gold, coal, chrome and other minerals has been encouraging and lithium-related investments are paying off. Most sectors such as manufacturing, agriculture, and tourism have positive outlooks. He links the growth to power cuts, which have become daily. The economy is growing faster than power supply in our country. The Wange Unit 7 is expected to be commissioned by year-end this year. A further 300 megawatts from Unit 8 is expected to come on stream by the second quarter of 2023. Efforts are only going to expand the country's energy mix with focus on renewable energy. The president also said the country's foreign policy is making strides. Zimbabwe's foreign policy of engagement and re-engagement as well as our thrust to be a friend to all and an enemy to none, continues to bear fruit. Our diplomatic missions have been refocused towards economic diplomacy and diaspora engagement to attract investment and mutually beneficial partnerships across the globe. The need for the unconditional removal of sanctions, which have constrained socioeconomic growth for decades, remains urgent and imperative. Mnangagwa said, 
Zimbabwe is grateful to African Union and the Southern African Development Community, which have begged the country in calling for an end to sanctions. Many top leaders of the country remain under economic and travel sanctions in Western nations, including the United States, because of the country's human rights record. Nangagwa has said his government has addressed those issues and that sanctions hamper economic growth. The World Bank last month forecast that Zimbabwe's economy will grow about 3.6% next year, as the rainy season is forecast to be normal and fertilizer prices are falling. However, that was down from 5.8% last year. And in its report, the bank estimated the inflation rate tops 200%. At the same time, the World Food Programme recently said 3 million Zimbabweans, nearly a fifth of the population, face extreme food insecurity this year. For VOA, this is Kudzaj Nawashe from Harare. Cameroon will play Switzerland tomorrow in the first match for both teams at the World Cup. Sunny Young spoke with my colleague Mokbilia Baro about Cameroon's top players, the team's chances against the Swiss, and group opponents Serbia and Brazil, and the leadership role of Samuel Ito, the four-time African Footballer of the Year, who is the president of the Cameroonian Football Federation. Sporty World Cup greetings, Mukbill. Sporty World Cup greetings to you too, Sonny. Mukbill, the indomitable lions of Cameroon, can be described as the World Cup flag bearers for Africa. They've qualified for the World Cup eight times, more than any other African team. And they were the first African team to reach the World Cup quarterfinals doing so at Italy, 1990. But, Muckbill, that was 32 years ago. And Cameroon hasn't advanced out of the group stage since. For Qatar 2022, Cameroon is in Group G with Serbia, Switzerland, and five-time World Cup champion Brazil. Muckbill, who are the players to watch for Cameroon in Qatar? Sonny, I'll have to start off with Eric Maxim Chupmoting, the Bayern Munich forward, who's top 10 in scoring in the Bundesliga at the moment. He will bring that firepower that the Cameroonian side needs. He also played with PSG in the past season and possesses a lot of experience that the team can benefit from. Next, I'd like to go with the captain, Vincent Abubakar, who has scored the third most goals in Cameroonian history, only behind Samuel Eto'o and Francois Oman Biak. With these two scorers, it'll give any defense a tough day. Lastly, another key player to watch would be Inter Milan's goalkeeper, Andre Onana. Having a reliable goalkeeper playing in one of the toughest club leagues is something that will be very valuable for the Cameroonian side. Muckbill, I understand some Cameroonian fans criticized some of the selections for their World Cup team. What's your reaction? Sonny, Cameroon is one of those African nations that have the luxury of having too many elite players. So when a big name is left out, it'll be a question from the fans of that player in specific. 
With having Samuel Eto'o at the very top and Coach Rigerberg's song, it is very difficult to argue with their selection, especially knowing their past experiences as football legends for the country. Muckbill, Cameroon will kick off its World Cup campaign November 24th when it plays Switzerland. The Swiss lost to Ghana 2-0 on November 17th in a friendly World Cup warm-up match in Abu Dhabi. Muckbill, I'm guessing Cameroon must have scouted that friendly? Sonny, the interesting thing about friendlies, especially ones that are this close to the beginning of the tournament, is that most teams won't play their top guys to avoid injuries. It'll mainly be the younger players or the reserves that the coaches want to see in order to get them in their team's rotation. But I don't feel like that Swiss side was the side that we will be seeing as a whole unit. There's some players that might have needed to get some reps in that will be on the pitch as starters. A win against the Swiss would almost, and I say almost guarantee the Cameroonians get out of the group, but all they really need is a draw. Muckbill, the indomitable Lions will play Serbia on November 28th and wrap up group play against world number one Brazil on December 2nd. How do you see those matches? Sonny, I feel like the indomitable Lions have a great shot in this group. If they come out strong against Serbia in their second match, it'll give them some much-needed momentum to play Brazil in their toughest matchup to finish off the group stages. As we've seen, Eric Maxim Chipmoting is in form right now and could score against almost any team if the right ball is played anywhere near his strike zone. So it'll be fun to watch, Sonny. Muckbill, four-time African Footballer of the Year, Samuel Eto has been in charge of the Cameroonian Football Federation for almost a full year. Eto participated in four World Cups as a player. How do you view his leadership role in Qatar? Sonny, there is nothing but respect for Samuel Eto, arguably the biggest star to have ever put on a Cameroonian jersey, and I feel like his expertise and leadership will be seen in this tournament. I also like Cameroon's group chances because although there is a clear favorite for the group, with that being Brazil, the second slot is for the taking. It all just depends on who wants it the most. All these teams have got to bring it every single game. And that's all for me, Sonny. Back to you. Thanks, Muckbill. That's my VOA colleague, Muckbill Yabaro, speaking with us here in Washington. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest development on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbil Yabaro, and our engineer, Shogun Chung, thanks for choosing The Voice of America. Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Wake up, dance this music, 
Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station, Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music from bobo music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, afrobeat to ndombolo and makosa to kwaito. The African beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 